good afternoon. I realize that today I am privileged to preach to Gideon's 300. Lo, some went to the beach, and yea, verily others had to go home early. But those that truly love the Lord, they stay to fight. <laughs> Three and a half years, and so it is. It is still bizarre for me to uh, to say it's so good to have you on our campus, you know, because for decades my wife and I, whether we were coming from Mission Diego or coming from Charlotte, North Carolina, we would look forward to May and mark that first weekend because we knew that whatever the weather was in Charlotte, which would typically be somewhere between, you know, ninety and death. Whatever was going on in our lives in, uh, in, in South Orange County, we would take four days of breathing some sweet Malibu air and enjoy the fellowship and the camaraderie. And so I am, I'm thankful that you're able to enjoy it. I am thankful that Pepperdine is able to host it. And somebody said, you know, well, do you, is, it, is it more fun on your side of the table now that you're actually part of the group that, you know, is kind of putting the whole thing on? The, the, Lion's share of that falls on Mike Koch's shoulders, and he does a marvelous job of it. He has some wonderful, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Joelle Michael, who introduced Christine Kane, if you heard her, she is the real power behind the throne. And Tammy Williamson, and Corey Rhodes, and Michael Minichetti, and Rick Gibson. There's just a bunch of us that get a chance to work on different aspects of the, of the lectures. But they said, oh, I'm sorry, of Harvard. <laughs> uh, but somebody asked me, is it, is it, is it more fun? I said, well, it's, it's different kinds of fun. Uh, when we would come here, we would look so forward to these four days when I wasn't working here. And now that I'm working here, we look so forward to them being over. So, <laughs> not quite that bad, really. It really is. I, um, I want to, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt to remind myself to, to tell all of you, and it's not about that, so let me go past that for a second, sorry, there we go. Um, I, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt to remind all of you that Pepperdine has a summer program specifically to help sophomores and juniors in high school develop their lives as Christian leaders. The program's called Crossways. If you're a youth minister, I'm hoping you already know that term. If you are a parent or a grandparent, I need you to put in your phone or make a note in your calendar when you get back to get a hold of that sophomore or junior at your church and say, there is a program at Pepperdine where you can spend nine days learning Christian leadership, living in the dorms with an ocean view. We take them one day down, no matter where they're from, you know, we've got kids that come from 20 different states for this program, and you can only come one time. We take them down to Hollywood, let them see the Hollywood Walk of Fame, we take them to a movie at the El Capitan, and then don't tell them this, but that night they're going to sleep on the pews and on the floor at the Hollywood Church of Christ. And we talk about homelessness, and we talk about the challenges of our city, and then they go that next morning to the Union Rescue Mission, and they get a chance to see there's two sides of the glitz and glamour. Hollywood. And 
live and work around L.A. Oh, thank you very much. Those of us who live and work around L.A. understand that. Uh, <clears throat> the cost of the program, thanks to some grants and thanks to Pepperdine's support, nine days on campus, room and board, is 150 bucks. And no, you can't come. Now, my granddaughter's only 16, and I just thought it'd be better if Mabel and I and her mom and dad and her older two brothers, we all just can't. No, it, they, you, I, we love you, but you can't come. Uh, we'll let you drop them off, but, uh, but after, after dinner, then you got to head out. Um, my wife said, Jeff, you talked too long before you got your material yesterday, so, so I'm going to try and do this super fast. We believe that somehow this world is managing to suck all the life, creativity, and energy out of our young people. Not that they aren't lively and creative and energetic, but it is providing such excitement about you could be the next Bill Gates. Okay, fine. We need somebody to be Bill. You could be the next Mark Zuckerberg. You could be the next Justin Bieber. You could be the next. What, what we ask, what we ask, what we ask is we ask them to give us nine days. And here's what we spend those nine days. The main, the heart of it, we spend the nine days with them working through what we call a life map. It is a project that some of our folks from education and psychology and youth ministry here on campus help us to develop. There's enough doctorates on that thing to start a clinic. I mean, it's, 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 it's such wise, good stuff. I'll give you the 10-second version. They begin at the beginning of the week looking at their gifts and skills, looking at their history and experiences. They move to their passions and what drives them. And then they talk about their life goals. And all the way along, they're asking, what does God want? What does God want? What does God want? What does God want? And then we talk about the, the, the peaks of character they'll need to climb. And they identify some of those. If you write in your end of your life goal, I want to make a bajillion dollars and give, and give a bajillion dollars to, to missions and to the church. Well, that's great. So let's talk about the kind of character qualities you need to have. You want to make a bajillion dollars? Probably self-discipline and industry are going to be a couple of your character qualities. You want to give away a bajillion dollars? Generosity is going to be needed. Because there's plenty of people who make a bajillion and then don't give hardly anything away. Can I get an oh yeah from you? Right. Don't point, ma'am. So, so what we do is we help to guide them through that and send them back home to their churches with this map. That they sit down with their parents and they read. And they sit down with their youth minister and they pray over it. And they share it with their youth group. And what we're trying to get them to ask is, before, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is God calling me to? And what is the need in our world? Now, yeah, one of those needs is for the leaders in the kingdom of God as elders and deacons and missionaries and ministers. But you want to be a doctor? You want to be Mark Zuckerberg? Awesome. Let's ask, what if, you ready for this one? What if Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who, who launched Facebook, huge influencer in the internet culture, what if he was a 110% dedicated follower of Jesus Christ and leveraged all his connections and abilities to make sure that Jesus was there? I mean, I, it makes
makes my head hurt to think about, wow. I mean, here on campus, we've got Bob Goff. He's a, a lawyer and a Christian at the same time. <laughs> Bob is a huge influencer, but we need about 500, 5,000. We need a million Bob Goffs and Benny Goffs to be out there using those gifts and skills. That's what Crossways is about. If you have more questions, I'm happy to talk to you afterwards. Please have your kids apply. Now the bad news. We can only take 100. And so we, we, we do our best to try and, and spread the love around. Uh, and, uh, and every kid who comes to it, their application fee is way to Pepperdine University. So that's one more little benefit uh, that we, we provide for. Keep that work in your prayers. That's one of my projects here. So it's a selfish request to keep that work in your prayers and, uh, and share that with your friends. Uh, let's start this, uh, this afternoon with a prayer. Will you? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Father, as we sometimes sing, light the fire in our souls. Fan the flame. And yet, God, even as we say that to you, you already said it to us through the words of your Apostle Paul. So, God, we ask in this hour that you help us to understand what it means to fan the flames of the Holy Spirit in our life and what we need to do. For, Father, you engage us, you involve us. Thank you for doing that. Help us, Lord, to look at what it means for us to do the work to which you've called us in our own spiritual development. I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. And all that agree say, Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, if you've been here, we've been talking um, about, about the nature of God's revelation of the Holy Spirit. God chose to reveal the Holy Spirit in, in metaphor. Uh, I had somebody say, well, you know, this is kind of exciting this year to have this. We want to see, you know, it's almost like, you know, are people for or against uh, several things. I thought of two dueling books because people have asked me about books to read. Um, and there's a book called Surprised by the Spirit. And then there's a book called Satisfied by the Spirit. Two books from two different perspectives. Uh, if you'll look them up, and I'm trying to remember Jack's last name, who wrote Surprised by the Spirit, who ended up at Belmont in, uh, in Nashville. Somebody will tell me it later. Uh, but Surprised by the Spirit and Satisfied by the Spirit are two different authors looking at the Holy Spirit. And they were kind of, you ever seen dueling books come out? You know, as soon as you see the two titles in your head, you hear, this guy's writing from one side, and this person's writing from the other side. Uh, that happened uh, a few years ago with a Piper book, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I think it was a Max Lucado book about grace, and you know, is it cheap grace, or is it you know, valuable grace, etc. Um, I, ju I just, <clears throat> I wrote this down, and I thought, is this offensive? Sometimes the only way you know it is to say it. Um, One of the beautiful things about the Lord's body is that when we come together to fellowship, to think, and to serve, and to commune, we are able to do so past our differences. Now, by the way, those differences are always going to be there, at least in a healthy church. You're always going to have more mature and less mature. Can I get it? Oh, yeah? If you don't have less mature, that means you're not having babies. And if your church isn't having babies, then your church is in the process of dying. So we need to be constantly having new believers in our church. Guess what that means? Differences. 
we're also going to have different gifts in our church. If you don't, what happened? Because you ran a bunch of the people with certain gifts off. There are people who will run off those who are, uh, let's see, I want to find some nice language, non-academic. <laughs> Did you ever went to church and feel like, oh man, I need to find the 101 church. This is a 401 level <laughs> class, and I need the 101 level class. Some churches will run off the introverts. They, they don't do it purposefully, but because of the nature of the leadership, you're just not like, this is like out here. And some, someone even said that you need to get out of yourself. And you just need to get out of yourself. What they're really saying is you need to get into me. You need to get into my way of doing it. I am convinced that both extroverts and introverts can't go to heaven. Amen? Okay. So, 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 when, so when we come to the Lord's table, when we gather together, if a brother can stand on one side of the table, is committed to military service, and all three of his sons have served as Marines. And a sister can stand on the other side of the table, who is a pacifist, who does not believe that that is a role she would want any of her children to walk down. And we could just as soon swap that. But they break the bread, and they pass it to one another. And they say, we are the body of Christ. If we can have someone who believes with all their being that there's going to be a rapture, and you better be ready. Buy your copies of Left Behind now. I mean, you just need to be ready. And a person over here who is an amillennial who says, no, 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 that's not what that's about. If we can have somebody over here who believes that heaven is going to be this wonderful, mysterious, marvelous place out there somewhere, you know, some glad morning, I'm going to fly away. Sitting right across from the person who says, no, 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 God's just going to redo this. God's just going to say, move that bus. And it's just, it's just going to be this, this extreme, extreme makeover of, of what's here in a, in a divine and holy and awesome way. If those people can drink from the, from, you know, cups from the same tray, if those people can reach across and shake one another's hands, if we can disagree about so many things, then I invite us to be able to disagree about the work of the Spirit. of all things. What a heartbreak for the Heavenly Father for us to divide over that which he gave to unite us. Uh, let's do this quick. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, if any comfort from his love, if any, let's say it together, common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in and of one mind. Now, that doesn't mean we only have one mind. It doesn't mean, you know, that, that we're, you know, the Borg or whatever it is getting assimilated. If, if, if two Christians never disagree on anything, one of them is redundant. I, I just, I, I, I actually believe that. My wife and I don't agree on everything. You and, you, you and your elders don't agree on everything. That's easy, right? You and your children, land sakes, you and your children will not agree on everything. Can I get a, oh yeah, agree on that. And when you get the grandkids in the mix, buckle your seatbelt. The question is not, we don't agree on anything. It is what we do agree on. 
that is that there is a God who so loved us that he created this planet. There is a God who so cares for us that he gave his son that we might have union with him. And there is a God who has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so we, we, we step into this unity. Three pictures, three Instagrams of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who weren't there, he is water, the substance that sustains. He is the drink that satisfies. And he is the filling that overflows us. And this is all being videotaped. And so if you miss those and one night you just can't get to sleep, you can look this up. And it'll put you right to sleep. Uh, second, we talked about him being the wind. Everybody just blow. I don't have my fan today. He is the breath of soul life. And we said do it regularly, slowly, and deeply. He is the unseen force that moves. Remember the fan and that, that mental picture we gave you of that scarf flying in the wind. He is the unseen force that moves us. We talked about the sailing metaphor, lifting the anchor, being willing to change, opening your sails, trusting the captain, and watching the charts. Today, There is something about that, that movement. 
is something about the unpredictability and, yes, the danger. Before you say, well, what are you trying to press? I'm not trying to press anything. I'm actually asking the question, why did God choose on the day of Pentecost to make it fire? That was him. I wasn't part of the committee. Neither were you. I just said, Lord, this is going to cause junior high teachers issues through the years. Because when the kids say, oh, yeah, fire. Because you God loves fire. Would you? We were just trying to have Pentecost in the backyard. Actually had. Actually had. A child tell me that. What were you doing back there? Well, Brother Wallen, we just want to have a Pentecost back there. <laughs> that's pretty good, Jesus Jitsu, man. That is, that's, that's, that's pretty good, but it ain't going to fly. I'm still telling your folks, and you're still getting restricted from getting in our cabinets and getting those matches out there. Fire is dangerous. Fire can be hurtful. For all of you who are Californians, I don't need to say that sentence twice. So God, what's up with this? Okay, water, I get it. Sustaining, satisfying, wind, it moves me. It's what moves the sail. But fire. All right, one other thing about this text before we move on. What they saw is what seemed to be tongues of fire. That
Why did they call it the Holy of Holies? Because that's the presence of God. Then Jesus comes. Born of a virgin. And he stands in one spot at a time. Jesus was spatially bound. I'm trying, not trying to mess with your heads. I'm, I'm trying to get you to think about a reality I hadn't thought much about. That when Jesus was in Capernaum, he couldn't be in Joppa at the same time. That's really, that, I, I didn't say that sentence right. When Jesus is in Capernaum, God had so bounded his human manifestation that he would not be. If I didn't raise from the dead, I'm not going to tell him what they can and cannot do. <laughs> but, but if Jesus had wanted to multiply his ministry, then God would have sent Jesus. <laughs> Why not? Hey, Mickey Mouse does it at Disney World. <laughs> Mickey is in 20 different places at once. God could have done that. God could have easily done that. Could Jesus appear anywhere, anytime? Well, what does he do? He physically bounds in the sense of, I'm just thinking abstractly, kind of drawing this boundary saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appear here with you, and then I'm going to travel to be here with you. I suppose there's reasons for that. That way Jesus is able to understand our bounding. Did you ever think about that? When you're stuck in travel, Jesus gets that. I'm serious. How about stuck on a donkey, right? You know? How about, how about being one place and somebody wants you to be someplace else? You just keep going here. So we get to the book of Acts. And the tongues of fire come and they... That's an amazing moment. Because the presence of God has just done a holy relocation from a place, tabernacle, temple, Jesus, to... Right now, smothers and elephants and plaza classrooms and all the costumes you looked for and couldn't find. All of them. <laughs> God is present in those places due to the amazing nature of this holy fire. He is, that is the Holy Spirit, the transforming fire of God's power. All right. I'm not going to waste another match right now. What color is that match yet? What color is this match yet? It's kind of kind of yellowish, but light colored, right? You can definitely tell that this match head, in the process of being burned, was changed. This is God's metaphor choice, not mine. Fire changes things. Wind may move things. Water may be absorbed by things. But fire transforms things. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. The transformative power of the fire of the Holy Spirit is seen in the boldness of the early church, is seen in the way Paul is transformed. 
from a Christian killer to a Christian producer. And he speaks to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you need to fan into flame this fire. Why? Take a look at that text. There's two matches in that text, a before match and an after match. What's the before match? God did not give us a spirit of... I have to laugh. I don't think it's the same in Greek. But if you take the word of timidity and you shorten it to the first three letters, what do you get? I, I'm going to suggest that this may have been Timothy's challenge. Why does he write it to him? Why does he say, my son, you need to fan into flame? Because God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Now, he uses us. That's because he's a good preacher. You know what I'm saying? If your church is greedy, you don't say, you need to deal with being greedy. You say, you know, we need to deal with this issue of greed. Even though you're not. <laughs> Does anybody want to call Paul Timothy? Not me. He wasn't timid before. He wasn't timid after. So why does Paul say, you know, God did not give us. Who's that us? Timothy's thinking. Because <laughs> dude, I know you, and that ain't you, which only leaves me. <laughs> I'm going to offer the thought that Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to light the fire. Because it's going to transform you from timid Timothy to powerful, loving. Self-discipline. There's all kinds of questions here about what Timothy is like, right? Oh, Timothy. Has it hit you yet? Where are you? Because the Holy Spirit would like to transform you. That's his work. And he does not do it gently. Anybody ever have a granddad that did the old, you know, see a match burn twice? Yeah. <laughs> oh, some of you don't know it. Oh, I wish the rest of you had matches right now. Uh, granddad strikes the match, and then he blows it out and says, see, that's once. And then while that thing's still hot, he puts it on the grandson. That's twice right here. That's how, that's how match will burn twice. That's also how you get arrested as a grandpa. Uh, <laughs> The Holy Spirit's fire changes things. It is divinely lit. Now notice, he doesn't say light the fire. He says fan the flame to Timothy. And it is all consuming, which takes us to our next principle. Our God is a, everybody say the words, consuming fire. Fire doesn't know when to say quit. Fire just keeps burning until everything it can touch has been transformed. The fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The story in Numbers 11 of sin in the camp. God uses fire as a transformative, quite frankly, a purative agent. Let me, let me back up and, 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 and address this issue of transformation through fire. We often think of the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And 
I get that. That's a fair biblical image. But this is a more prominent biblical image from beginning to end than the image of, let me give you a hug. God's fire will hurt. Why? Number one, we all learn way more through pain than we ever do through pleasure. Pain teaches. Number two, you can't do surgery and it not hurt. Unless, of course, you've got super anesthesiologists. But then you wake up and you go, man, who beat those up? I'm just, ouch, oh, that hurts, right? When God goes to work on our lives, I believe the fiery metaphor is there for a purpose. Because we, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to eye you. I have this thought that because God so loves me, that he's not going to do anything that would hurt me. My father has hurt me. Not my human heavenly father. My heavenly father has hurt me. You say, Jeff, what do you mean? You ever had something that you did that was wrong, brought into life by events that could only be said to be, you did that. You did that. How in the world would that person happen to be there and happen to hear this or happen to see this and happen to find this? That was you. And it hurt. And it embarrassed me. And I had to deal with it. And it was God's fire at work within me. I can tell you stories of ministers. I, I know minister stories because we tell each other our stories and then we vow never to tell them except in classes. I could tell you stories of church leaders whose affair, or whose addiction, or whose alcoholic problem, or whose pornographic issues, or whose embezzlement of funds got found because of a God move that brought it to life, and the match was lit. And some of them burned. Today, they would stand up here and say, praise God, because I will take Holy Spirit fire over hell fire any day of the week. I will take heartache and discovery and pain here over an eternity of life without God and fire that gives no light in an instant. And we all have to say, no, that's right, no, that's right. And yet, man, you start getting found out. We are, I mean, we're making Richard Dixon look like an amateur. We are covering and dodging, and we are, you know, we're trying to cover everything we got going on. King David. You talk about a fire. Talk about a house on palace on fire. Gets the next door neighbor's wife's pregnant, right? What does he do? David steps up before all of Israel and says, I need to confess this. <laughs> no. David lies and kills and deceives and covers up. And God says, we can do this the easy way. <laughs>
cool? Read the Psalms. Because David will say, oh Lord, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. But when I confess, now what David? Read it out. When you burn my house down. And I was driven to my knees and I wept. And I finally got it. Then I confessed. And you forgave the very guilt of my sin. Fire doesn't stop burning unless it consumes everything that needs consuming or somebody quenches it. We'll get there in a minute. He is the fire of godly passion. Um, this is the part of fire that we can have maybe a, a little bit of a lighter time with. Because this is the part of fire that I believe he's saying, for this reason I remind you, to fan the flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. <clears throat> now, there are two places where Paul is going to talk about our part in dealing with the fire. Uh, one of them has to do with what happens when somebody takes one of these take some kindling or some small pieces of wood and you light it. But in order to get the, those small pieces of wood to really catch, what do you lean down and do? Oh. If you're old school, you'd have a bellows, right? Otherwise, you'd take your iPhone and wave it like that. <laughs> That's the other thing, which is to quench Think about this. There are two human activities that Paul grabs hold of and says, see this. Fan it into flame, don't quench. So if I'm going to fan the spirit into flame, it means that I can make choices to let the spirit have its way. We sing it, right? Let him have his way with thee. You haven't sang that one in a while, have you? His power will make you what you want to be. His love will cleanse your heart and make you free. His love fill your heart and you will see. T'was best to let him have his way with me. Yes, there's some wisdom in those old tunes. Those folks were thinking, though they were saying, you've got to fan the flame and let the fire burn. All right, let's go ahead and go here. When we talk about this gift of flame and we say, light me up, Lord, we recognize that the flame is not simply transformative in our life, but it is also a flame of godly passion. Passion, I believe, is a sign of God's presence. It attracts and holds attention. And I want to talk to my preacher buddies, and I want to talk to everybody else, preachers and teachers. Jack Parr years ago said the worst, commit, the worst sin you can commit in public is to be boring. <laughs> now, the reason Jack Parr said that, everybody, anybody remember who Jack Parr was? Okay, all my wrinkled homies are, know what I'm talking about. Before there was uh, Conan O'Brien, before there was Jay Leno, before there was Johnny Carson, before there was even Steve Allen, before there was... I'm not sure. I'm not a girl. I'm not sure about that one. Maybe he, Jack may have been a contemporary. 
Jack Parr started the talk show. He was the guy that basically invented it. Before there was, who's that? I hear a guy that did the talk show during the day for so long. Bill Donahue, right, right, right. All those guys are walking in the footsteps of Jack Parr. Back in the day, the executives laughed at him when he said, what if I just sat on a couch and talked to people? <laughs> Wait a minute, Sid Caesar is doing show of shows with guys in dresses and, and you know, and clowns and, and people in gorilla suits. You're kidding, you're gonna sit and talk to people? Jack said, I think I can keep people's interest. So he did. He said, worst sin you commit in public is be boring. I will tell you there's a worse sin than that. The worst sin that you could ever commit was to make following Jesus look boring. The worst sin I could commit is to make the Bible boring as a preacher, as a teacher. The worst sin I can commit if I'm working in a church is to make Church. <laughs> you gonna say that when you're out loud voice and everything right here in front of God and all these people? Because I don't know about you, but I'm trying to think back. I, I've, been, I, I've been to a boring church service for 700. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and let me say, some of them I was preaching.
words are great words, bro, but if you're not going to bring them with passion, just email that dude on in. You say, well, now, Jeff, not everybody's passionate. Not everybody expresses passion in the same way. I'll grant you that. Paul told Timothy, fan it into flame. When we are told to be bold and courageous. Guys, I love you. I know this comes easier for some of us than it does to others because the introvert, extrovert thing, I get that. But you extroverts, I've seen you at those basketball games. I have seen you at those soccer games. I know when you just let yourself go, there's a godly extrovert hiding in there. <laughs> the world walks in and sees the guy or gal or whomever may be standing up front preaching or teaching it on that particular moment, when they walk in and you see a Christine Kane, I don't care what you believe, you're going, whoa, I, got, I just want to watch her burn. I mean, I, I just, <laughs> wow, I mean, zoom, zoom, zoom. Or you see a Don McLaughlin. And, and you may even say, well, I don't exactly agree with all that. I'm just here to watch him burn. <laughs> When one of the great atheists of his day was seen walking toward the tent where uh, a, a preacher named Whitfield was going to be preaching, a famous, fiery, passionate revivalist, somebody said, Sir, what are you doing here? You don't believe in God. He says, I, I don't. You're right. I'm here to watch Whitfield because he does. Yes. <laughs> if we believe that we have been set free, if we believe that we've been saved from hell, if we that when we die, we will be resurrected. Then, land sakes, I am a second fruit advocate. You know what I mean when I say second fruit advocate? What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Everybody's for love. I'm supporting number two, joy. I'm a second fruit advocate. Yes, we need to be loving, but right now our churches need bushels of joy. We need it because in a world that is trying to figure out who's going to blow us up or, or who are we going to get mad at or who are we going to end up in a war with or, or man, what about just the, the, the climate change and what about the destruction and, and what about what we're doing to our planet and what about the, the challenge between the genders and the races and ethnicity? Stop. Yes, this world has been broken and busted since the first two of us got to make choices. <laughs> Amen? But we know the end of the story. We know there will come transformation. We know that death does not have the last word. We know that I don't care whether it's cancer. I don't care if it's leukemia. I don't care if it's, if it's Alzheimer's. Whatever it is that takes this body, you cannot 
take away my promise from God. And that is that I will live with him forever. And you too. Amen.
got to decide that one of the worst things we could ever do in public is make Christianity look boring and miserable and negative. We have got to stop being the people who can brighten up a room by leaving it. We have got to generation says they take one peek in the back door of that church and you're only going to get one peek at it. They're going to check you out online and they're going to try one time and if they come in and we say good news but we say it, good news. You've never obeyed the gospel. The word gospel means good news. You've never given your heart and life to Christ. That's what you call becoming a Christian, dedicating yourself to Jesus. If you've never been baptized. Do you know what that is? That is resurrection being predicted. That is us acting out what God has promised that he would do. That is a moment worthy of a... <laughs> Man, when somebody gets... If, I, know, I know a church that when people respond, they woo-hoo. Uh, oh, listen. That's joyous. You, you see somebody come down... You know how it is. Come on, you know what you grew up with. Why? Why is it okay for God to be jealous? 
too easy. When God is jealous, he is jealous because he knows he is our lover. He is the one who loves us truly. He is the one who would give himself for us. And he knows the other guy, the gigolo, the one who is trying not to love us, but to kill us. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You are not going to touch my boy. You are not going to touch my girl. Because I know what you're going to do with him. You're going to lie to him. You're going to cheat on him. You're going to take him to hell. Oh, no, you will not do that. So what does he do? He's a consuming fire. He is serious about purity. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? That's why Paul would say, this is a big deal, this purity thing, this, this sexuality thing, eyes as well as body. As obedient children, don't conform to evil desires you have, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. That match is meant to burn up stuff that shouldn't ought to be there. And when it is transformed, there's nothing there but that which the fire has purified. I'll just make it practical. Whatever that secret sin of yours is, and it's not as secret as you think it is, I dare you to say, Holy Spirit, burn me. Just burn this up. And I'd encourage you, if it's burnable, bridge on a relationship, burn it, blow it up. You're involved with somebody you're not married to? Somebody says, Reverend, I'm Bible lectures. Well, all the humans here, raise your hand. <laughs> you're engaged. If, you, if, if pornography has gotten a foothold in you, according to the stats, in ministry, 85%. So what do you do? You confess it, and you light it on fire. You say, Holy Spirit, God, blame me up, Lord. You get around people who will blow on fire. You get around people who will ask you the hard questions. You confess it, and you know this will quench the Spirit, and I can't live without the Spirit. Because I already know I need the water, and I need, need the wind. Amen? Holy fire of his presence causes, and I love the word for it, is consecration. Everybody say, Lord, light me up. Lord, light me up. All right. I had one to tell you, but I won't because I love Don McLaughlin. I'll tell it in 30 seconds. Don't you worry. The prayer's going to be short. Here we go. So my kids had this game years ago, a video game, and the older two boys loved playing it, but his younger brother wanted to play, and they were squalling the ball, and I had to go in and say, let him play. Well, every time he'd get one of the controllers to start playing, he was awful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Start> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> 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 the 
the brothers would say, you lost your turn. I said, let me play for a minute. I'm down the hallway trying to work. I get it, I get it. You know, he just can't do it. He can't get past the first obstacle. But then I heard, and I heard him say, Spence, way to go, Spence, way to go. Spence is four. I ran down the hallway. Spence is there doing like this, and I'm looking, coins, coins, special points, special move. He's a genius! <laughs> Scholarship right now, IT, he's gonna be a cook. But I looked at the controller he was using and I realized that was a controller from their own game system. <laughs> and I looked at the other brother who was going. <laughs> Say in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah.